Well, when we read a, this story, one of the natural questions that comes to our mind is how in the world does God command such a thing? How in the world could God, would God, command Abraham to sacrifice his son for whom he has waited for so long, who was trusted? And just the very fact that God, uh, later in the scriptures, forbids this kind of thing. This is the kind of thing that is the very opposite of his character. Well, for one, um, we, we are not uh, to question God on the way he does things, but we can look at the scriptures and see why he is doing what he is doing. And the answer comes to us at the very beginning of this. God was actually doing something, and that thing that God was doing was he was testing Abraham. God was bringing a test to this man of faith the father of faith. It says in verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and then he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You can feel the the pain and the, the weight that would have come upon any father, any person being told to sacrifice their child. Now the, the thing that God is doing here is he's testing, and we can't miss that. He's bringing a test to Abraham. Well, what kind of a test is this? God, in the scriptures, brings tests to his people. In Proverbs 17.3, it says, a crucible for silver and a furnace for gold, but the Lord is the tester of hearts. And that is, God reveals what is in our hearts. He causes it to be brought out. If there's any dross in gold, in the ore of gold that is not pure, then people that work with metals will take that gold and the ore that is mixed together, and they have processes where they'll heat it, and they'll even mix some things in like lead, and then through that process, the impurities are drawn out, And they rise to the top, and that's called dross, and that is scraped away. The proverb tells us that God tests our hearts. God is doing a process for every believer whereby the things that are really inside of us are brought out and they are revealed. That is the heart of what is happening here with Abraham. Abraham is not being tested in a way that he would pass or fail. Okay, it's not that if Abraham messes this up, he's out with God. We saw back in chapter 15, he looked up at the stars, he heard God's word and God's promise, and he believed God, and it was counted to him, it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was in the covenant with God. He was safe, he was secure, and the promises were sure. But this idea of testing was happening. A test, when God brings it, is a trial. And you see this theme through Scripture. Whenever this book of Genesis was written, it was written by Moses. And the first five books of the Bible are all written by Moses, and they're given during that time in the wilderness before they enter the promised land. The last book of these five is Deuteronomy. And God explains to these people that were receiving this book of Genesis, the same time... 
or close to the same time that they were receiving the book of Deuteronomy, God says this in Deuteronomy 8. Remember that these 40 years the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness. They had a trial, they had a difficulty, and God had a purpose for that. So that, it says, he might humble you and test you. Same word. In order to know what was in your heart. You see how this works? Whether or not you would keep his commandments. God brings trials into our lives. That is the testimony from Genesis all the way through the end in Revelation. We see that God will bring difficulties, whether they are long, like in the wilderness, or whether they are short and very acute, like we have here with Abraham. These tests are difficult things. It's like being thrown into a furnace. And these can be many kinds. You can have tests in your life that are physical, where your body is broken, where you get some kind of a disease. These could be very difficult things where in this world you might love someone, a family member, who is rejecting God, rejecting Christ. These could be things that are difficulties of finances or difficulties of being persecuted. There are many different kinds of trials. But God tests our hearts He puts us in these fiery trials, like it says in 1 Peter, for a reason. We shouldn't be surprised when difficulties come into our lives, no matter what kind they are. These trials reveal the faith that is inside of a believer. Now, some people have said that God tests us in these ways, but we are not supposed to test God in these ways. And generally, that's true. You see, throughout the scriptures, one of the errors of God's people is, and you see this in the the prophets and the Psalms, where God's people put him to the test. And what they're doing in the wrong way there is, that would be like us saying, God, I want you to prove to me on my terms what I think is right, and I'll judge if you are the right kind of God. And that's always wrong. But there's one point in Scripture where God actually tells people to test him. God says, and this is one where he very overtly says it. But uh, there are other places where he says to test him. He tells us to call on him and see if he will answer us. Well, here's the one where God overtly says to test him. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house And he says, thereby, put me to the test. God is saying, see what I'm really like. This is what the Lord says, the Lord of hosts. Put me to the test and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until until there is no more need. That was the verse that the Runyon family requested to have preached at Jim's service earlier in the year. It's an incredible thing. God tells us to test him. God here is testing Abraham. That's what's happening. And he sends him to this strange place. He sends him to this place of Moriah. So another question comes up. Why do they need to go a three days journey? They're in this place called Beersheba. He has peace. He has a covenant with the king there. He tells him, go to Moriah. And then he slows down and he he goes into this long 
slow explanation of what he is to do. Take your son, your only son. That phrase shows up three times in this passage. And you can feel the heart of this. You can feel the difficulty. Your, your precious one, your son, your only son, Isaac, he says, whom you love, take him there to the land of Moriah. Now, the only other time that we hear the land of Moriah in Scripture is that that was the place where Solomon, who builds the temple, builds it right there, this place of sacrifice, this place where atonement would be made for sin, this place where people could come and meet with God. And that place is where the temple, that's where Solomon built the temple. Now, we don't know if it was the exact location uh, where the temple was built, if it was some other place. It could be the Mount of Olives. It could be somewhere around there, those hills where Jerusalem is built. But we do know this, that thousands of years later, God would send Christ. And Christ, who would fulfill what was pictured here in many ways, was taken there outside the city of Jerusalem, and he was sacrificed. And he was given as a sacrifice in the place of sinners. And so that's what we see here. God is testing Abraham, and he is revealing so much. And the main thing that he is revealing is that God is a provider. That's what we need to know. We need to know that God is a provider for his people. And ultimately, God provides for his people through Christ. As we look at this narrative, I want you to remember that. You should take comfort in that. You should rely on that. You should learn to trust in the God who provides. This lesson of Abraham's life teaches us to trust God. And Abraham does what he's told. He's given this long, a slow, and painful description of what he is to do. And he sends him to Moriah. So he gets up, and he goes, and he makes this sacrifice. And there's not much happening for those three days. You just see that he gets up the next morning early. He gets his donkey, and he saddles it. He gets two young men, cuts firewood. And Isaac and Abraham go with these two servants, and they go to this land, to the place that God had told him. And on the third day, it says, they get there. And so that, those three days go really quickly. And then the narrative slows down as, as we're told the details of this story. On the third day, it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, you stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, when he says this, we should notice a few things. Abraham is obeying God. It doesn't say a lot of details about why, and I don't think we should read into the reason that he got up so early in the morning, except to say this. Abraham was obeying what God told him to do. Friends, this is what God wants you to do all the time. It's Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. You see, you will be faced with difficulties in life. You will be faced with trials. And you will go through things. 
where you will be tempted to rely on your own understanding. And you'll know that God wants you to do a certain thing with your time, with your resources, with your decisions. You'll know what God wants you to do, but there will be things in your heart that will be difficult to let go of. Here, human wisdom would have said, there's probably another way. Let me figure out another way. For Abraham, there was no other way. God had made it perfectly clear. This is what the Lord wants to do. And so he sets out to do that very thing. God was telling him to obey his voice. And there was something that was pulling against that. It was his love for his son. And we are to feel that. We are to feel that with this description and then with a dialogue as they're walking up this hill at Moriah. Abraham and his son walking up together. In the book of Hebrews, that chapter 11, which is by faith how all of these saints that have gone before us, how the testing of their lives revealed their faith, how it brought out the pure gold of their faith that was more precious than that gold that is refined by fire. Three times Abraham is mentioned in that. And I want you to notice this. In that book of Hebrews, in this passage where Abraham is mentioned in his faith three times, you see that he was called to leave his past behind and then to let go of the comforts of this world. And then his future in this world is given up all by faith. The first time, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place that God called him, to go to a new place that he did not know. And Abraham had to leave behind his past. Okay, And we are called by faith to turn away from anything in this world that would hold us back from following Christ. And then we're to continue with him. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, in a foreign land, living in tents. He was looking, doing that, he was looking for a better city, one whose designer and builder is God. As we continue in this world, we display, if we are believers, that our hope is not in this world. We hold loosely to the things of this world. We are like Abraham as sojourners in this world because we're hoping for a better country. And our lives will display this. Our priorities will be revealed. So we are letting go of the things that are comfortable in this world so that we can hope in what is yet to come. And then last is what happens here. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, that's this passage, he offered up Isaac. He actually took him up that mountain and he offered him and he had to let go of his future in this world. You see, the future for Abraham and all the promises that God had made were represented in that teenage boy, in that young lad. Now, here's a question for you. How is God calling you to obey him right now? How is God calling you in maybe a very difficult trial to trust him with all your heart? not knowing how it will work out. Can you do that? God's Word and God's Spirit calls us to do this. That's what it means to live a life of faith. And you know that hymn that we sing, God moves in a mysterious way? God performs His wonders by orchestrating things that are beyond how we can possibly understand them. And as we go through very difficult things in this world... We are called to live by faith knowing that He is the one that sees it all. 
and he works out his plans in ways that we cannot understand. Abraham didn't fully understand the things that were happening here. As they walked up this hill, as they call it a mountain, and the boy and I will go over there, he says, and we'll worship and we'll come again to you. There's a statement of faith in that. He talks about, he says, I'm representing Abraham here. Abraham, he says, I and the boy will go up this mountain together and we will worship there and we will come back to you. Okay, now was he lying to those young men? No. I think that he fully believed that these two, he and his son, would come back down the mountain. In fact, it says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham was reasoning through this as he was learning to obey God. And he reasoned that because God said it was that very son, this one, through whom your offspring shall be named, that you're the ultimate one, the individual seed that would come from you, who is the Messiah, that therefore, even though he would slay him with a knife, God would raise him back to life. That's how Abraham made sense of this. And he says in, in, Romans, or in Hebrews 11 that figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead. Well, Abraham didn't know all of what God would do or how this would work out. But he obeyed. He was learning how to obey. And they go up, he says, they go up the mountain to worship. Well, what is worship? Okay, did he go up there to hear a sermon from a pulpit and to sing songs? No. One of the best definitions of worship I've heard from Bruce. Bruce has said, worship is showing the worth of God. Thank you, Bruce. Worship is seeing the weight of the value of who God is and then displaying with your life the, the worth of God and how you value God. And you can do that with your possessions. You can do that with your work ethic. You can do that with how you obey God in many, many ways. We worship God with all of our lives. It's not just when we gather here. We do worship God when we're here. And we worship God when we're gathered together here in some very beautiful ways, with song and with the preaching of his word, in prayer. You worship God, and you should worship him with every fiber of who you are. The way that they were going up to worship was in obedience. He was going up to sacrifice his son. And as they're walking up, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. There's a Jewish writing from the time before Christ came that describes what happened there with Isaac, understanding what the Romans would do with prisoners that were sentenced to death. And, they, and this, this writer says that what happened, this Jewish writer says, what happened there is a picture of a condemned man carrying his cross. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hands the fire and the knife. And they both went together. And Isaac says to his father, my father. And he says, here I am, my son. You can just feel the love here. And he said, look, behold, the, I have, we have the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Okay, now Isaac has no clue that, that he is to be the sacrifice that day. But Abraham said something there that we don't see yet in this passage. He says, God will provide for himself 
the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they go and they continue up the mountain. And you can just feel the pain of the difficulty of what is coming. And as they go and as they make their way up the mountain, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham first builds an altar. He takes the time to do this properly. And he does it there, and he lays the wood on top of the stone altar. And then what you would do with a burnt offering is you would bind it. And then you have the, the, the wood underneath, and it's this dry wood that you take the animal and then you sacrifice it by cutting it in the neck. And then as the life fades out of that animal, then the wood is lit and the, the very body of this animal as an atoning sacrifice is consumed. And so he's going through these processes and they've, they've done this. They've worshipped God in this way before, but here it happens very differently. He had laid the wood on top of the altar and then the one that he binds is his son Isaac. And Isaac is bound, he's tied up, and he's laid on the altar on top of the wood. Now, we don't see how this worked out. If, if Abraham had to force him to do this, or if Isaac was willing in this, it just says that this is what Abraham did. And Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. And at that point... He is about to obey God in sacrificing his son. He's about to show his obedience to God's word, not understanding why or how, what was God's motivation, how this would work out, how they could go back down the mountain together. He simply obeys. He simply obeys God and his word. And at that point, as the knife is raised, God speaks through the angel of the Lord as the knife is raised in his hand and as his son is bound there above that wood on the altar, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And the same words he says again, here I am. It's, it's the picture of a servant. God, your word is coming to me again. Let me hear it again. Now what do you have for me? And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What was revealed through this time of testing of Abraham is that Abraham, the purity of his faith that God was working in him through all of the ups and downs of his life, that it was gold now. That what God had done in this man Abraham, he had worked this faith in him that was more precious than gold. Abraham had gotten to the point in his life where he truly trusted God. Brothers and sisters, God is bringing us to such a point. You know, we read in, in Romans 5 that when we go through trials, when we suffer, it produces endurance in us and then perseverance and hope. God is doing the same thing in every one of his children and so we are actually in a process of being refined when we go through these trials. What we are called to do is to obey God as much as we understand it, to obey him, to walk with him. And God stopped this. He stopped it just in time. And he says, I know that you have not withheld 
your son, your only son, from me. And in that, we have the second time that we hear these words, your son, your only son. You know, that phrase is alluded to in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in this, we have this picture of what we've had all along through all the scriptures, that God provides a sacrifice to take the place. And that sacrifice is his only son, his one and only son, the Lord Jesus. There was a time when Martin Luther was reading this passage at their family devotions. And they had a very large house. And they would have guests that would come in to stay with them. And they would have long discussions about the scripture that they had read. And they read this passage one night. And his wife's name was Catherine von Bora. And she was a very capable woman, very intelligent. She heard this, and in the group, when it was done being read, she said, I don't believe it. God wouldn't command his son to be sacrificed. And Martin looked at his wife, whom he called Katie, and he said, but Katie, he did. Do you see? When God had it written this way, your son, your only son, we are to look back on this and see what God has done with his own son. God knew from the foundation of the world that it would be his only begotten son, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that would come to be a sacrifice, to take our place when he was on that cross. And Jesus obeyed. Jesus willingly went to that cross. He took the cross on himself. And he did it in obedience to his Father. He didn't want to. The night before, he cried out and he said, if there's some other way, let it be some other way that this cup could be taken away from me, but it couldn't be taken away. He had to receive it. He had to take the wrath of God. And he is therefore that one who could be that sacrifice. When these things are happening, these trials that Abraham goes through, that his people go through, God is teaching us to trust him. God is teaching us that especially when we don't understand, we are to walk by faith. We are to learn to not rely on our understanding. And whenever we are in these trials, it gives us the opportunity to let go of trusting in other things. It makes us stronger as well. It's very hard to trust God when you're in a trial. It's much easier to rely on your own understanding And to do the things that have worked for you, that have protected your family, that have provided for you. It's very easy to fall back into worldly and earthly ways. But God calls us to walk by faith. And this makes us better. It makes us more alive because we come, as we walk through these things in faith, we come to trust him and know him more. And that's what we also see in this passage. God speaks to him after he stops the knife and says, You haven't withheld your only son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up it as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering, instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. You remember that old song, Jehovah Jireh? That is what the word is here. It's Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Yireh. 
It means Yahweh will provide. And this is where it comes from. When a ram, a, a little sacrifice, an animal, was taken as a substitute. And this is probably the clearest pointer to Christ and what he has done. Because Christ was that lamb that was sacrificed. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming in the wilderness, he said to everyone around him, Look at him. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. A prophet proclaiming that Jesus is this one. And this is the one that we all have to see. This is the one that we all have to turn to by faith. And we have to see that God has provided in Christ for every one of us. And in Christ, we see something that is very different than what happened on that mountain. Because on that mountain, when the lamb was provided in that little ram that was caught in the thickets, God called out from heaven and he said, stop, stop the sacrifice. But when Christ was on the cross, he cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And no one stopped it. No one stopped it because he had to be the one that would take the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserve, and when he did that, he provided. He provided life and salvation for us. And so wherever, wherever you are in life, if you haven't yet trusted in Christ to bring you to God, to be on peaceful terms with God, here is how it works. Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away your sin. You must trust in the Lord for your salvation, to remove your sin from you, so that you are acceptable to God. And then he begins and he works this process of making you what you ought to be, that your faith gets strengthened like Abraham's life is an example to us. He was refined like gold. He went through ups and downs. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who has been provided. Look at what else it says. On the mountain, it is said on that day, to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. And then look at what else God says, because God speaks a second time from heaven. Starting in 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn... This is God making an oath on himself. And what we have with this is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham with one extra detail that reveals the heart of God's work of salvation in Christ. Listen to what he says. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring, the one who would come from you, as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And here's the new part that God had not yet promised to Abraham, but he adds this blessing as well. And your offspring, this one, shall possess the gate of his enemies. That's new. What does it mean? It means this, that when Christ died, the offspring of Abraham, he did it and he won a great victory. He won something that was massive for his people. He won a victory that where the picture is the gates of your enemy would be a city that are, that are 
holding people inside. But Christ came and he disarmed the strong man. He ripped off the bars. He owns those gates now. And he holds the keys of life and death. And he can remove people from the grave and from hell. He can remove us from being dead and enemies of God. And he can bring us to God. This is the thing that God told Abraham would happen. The gates of his enemies are this. The enemies of God's people are Satan and sin and death and the wrath of God, the punishment of hell. And these things that are the enemies that hold us inside a a caged city, these are owned by Jesus. He can bring us from that death into life. The Lord provides. This is an incredible thing. How does he provide? He he provides a substitute lamb. And when he did this, it goes on further, and your offspring, in, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This is for all people now. When God's people, Israel, were hearing this in the, in the wilderness as they were about to enter the promised land, they were thinking, wow, this thing reminds me of the Passover lamb that just rescued us from Egypt. This ram that was there is the way God works. When we put the blood of the Passover lamb on our houses, we were saved. And this was God's way of always pointing to this. Now, it's all the nations of the earth hearing about this substitute who is Christ, the Lamb of God. The Lord has provided in him. He's provided a substitute. Now in verse 16 of that promise, where he says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, that brings us to something that is a promise for us when we suffer. And in Romans chapter 8, we read this. We read in Romans 8 that there's a question. When we think about all the sufferings that believers experience in this world and all the brokenness that is here in this world, in Romans 8 we have a question. What then shall we say to these things? How are we to make sense of the difficulties that we face, of the the trials that we experience, the fiery trials that come upon us, death and sickness and loss and and pain, and persecution, and slander, and all the things that can happen to us. And the answer comes in the form of a question first. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's how he frames this. And then he asks this question, which is an allusion to what happened there where God spoke to Abraham. He says this about Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, God has provided. And the logic of this passage is this. That for us who believe, we are told to look backwards in history to what God has already done. And then to understand that even though we're in suffering right now, no matter what that is, we know that God's plans are perfect. And he will not withhold any blessing from us who trust in him. He says, look, there is nothing more that God could have done for us than to not withhold his only son. And he freely gave him up for us. And when he did that, he proved that there is nothing he will withhold from us. So even though we go through fiery trials, it is proving, it is revealing our faith. 
And he has something so much better. He will not withhold from us any good thing. That's Romans 8.32. The Lord provides. Brothers and sisters, we can trust God even through every trial. Because he has provided, we know that he will provide. He has defeated his enemies. And now he comforts them. Look at what it says at the end of this passage. There's this name, that are, the list is hard to read at the very end of this passage. Well, what's going on with that? Well, what we see is, while Abraham and Sarah had to wait a long time for this one promised child, some relatives in another country are being very fruitful. And there's one name that you need to see in this passage. It's in verse 23, and her name is Rebecca. God had already raised up and was growing this young woman named Rebecca who would be God's provision of a bride for Isaac, through whom Christ would come. Now, what do you see in that? Well, look, from earth's perspective, we don't get it. From heaven's perspective, looking down on the things that are happening in our lives, while we walk through fiery trials, God's got it all under control. God has a plan and he orchestrates things just the way he wants them to accomplish his purposes. Let this truth comfort you when you don't understand, when you don't know how these things will work out. You do your part. You obey as much as you can with all your heart and not lean on your understanding. And at the same time, take comfort that God will have to do the things that only God can do. There are ways in which only God can provide for you. There are only ways in which God, God alone can, can protect you. Take comfort from this, brothers and sisters. God is the God who provides. He has proven it. And as we look at Christ on the cross, we are to turn to Him in faith to have salvation, to have life. And we are to continue to look to Him as we walk by faith through every trial. Let's pray.